The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 till 11. Now on 94.7 The Pulse, the weekly wrap-up and word on the street. This is 11 on Friday. First of all, thank you very much to Dennis for his program. He'll be back again next Friday. Vic, good morning. How are you? I'm well, Mitchell. Yourself? Good morning to Not you. Not too bad for a Friday. Another week? It is another week, isn't it? And we've got Christmas bearing down on us. I do have an app on my phone about how many seconds to Christmas. And Why? It plays little music. Oh, because I just think it's the most used app on my phone, actually. Why? Because you particularly get into the Christmas spirit. Oh, I think it's just always curious. When, when you, well, I like taunting people, you know, saying it's <laughs> only, you know, so many seconds to Christmas or minutes or something. And yeah. they, they hate me for that. I don't know. I mean, Christmas loses its magic a bit the older you get, I think. Wouldn't you agree? Quite the opposite, actually. I I I really do. Uh, yeah, I really do enjoy. Just that lead up to Christmas is special to me. What do you like about it? Um, I think there's a reverence about it, and I think there's a compassion for your fellow man. It's it, 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 despite the fact that it's centred around gift giving, mm. which there's a crossover there with the commercial world. Yes. Uh, there's also a selflessness about it too. You know, goodwill to all men and. You know, bring someone into your home who can't, who's not having a Christmas dinner. That happens a lot. I think I like that compassion. It's just a lovely time of the year. Um, plus, there's also the, there's a religious aspect for me. I, I quite like that too. Well, that's a nice slant on it. I think it's become overly commercialised, and I'm not really into gift giving and material things. If I was being honest, well, I'd concur with that. I'm not either. And um, you know, there's that aspect, and sometimes. Um, you know, you build up what it's going to be in your mind. And I know with a lot of families, you bring everyone together into one room and sometimes things can be um, tense amongst certain people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Look, there is a bit of that stuff that goes on. Uh, thankfully, it hasn't been um, too bad in my family today, but I have well, witnessed good. it. I have witnessed it. And you hear anecdotally time and time again. And what did they say? The biggest day for divorces is something like either 14 days before Christmas or just after Christmas. So that's oh, is that right? The family law people are cashing in. I think it might actually be the, the days before Christmas is the biggest day for people commencing proceedings because they say the the person in their mind maybe thinks the relationship's over and they think, I just can't face another Christmas with this person and possibly their family as well, so I'm ending it now. And that's why it's the peak day uh, for divorces, which is really, really sad, of course, that as part of that, you get that family breakdown. Well, paradoxically, it's that juxtaposition between love and displacement. Do you know, it sort of tends to under under pin or under not underpin but underscore the differences at that point unfortunately and people think well what the heck this is this relationship's had it anyway let's yep. let's formalize it uh you know and that's an unfortunate side uh, effect of the whole thing i would think 
I can say one of the best Christmases I've had was um, a few years ago where it was a really nice sunny day and uh, we ended up just going down the beach and going for a swim in the, the surf beach and uh, that was as good a Christmas as you could ever have. Um, didn't involve giving lots of gifts to people, didn't involve having 30 people over to your house and um, sitting around a table talking to people. It was just getting out there on a very relaxing day. It's that sort of last day, isn't it, when everything is closed? Um, but I think that's rapidly changing. Um, but it's the sort of last day. I think every Sunday used to be a bit like that, didn't it? But now uh, with the 24-7 economy, things are always buzzing. So Christmas is that one day when we can slow down a bit. Yeah, yeah. Have you made any plans for... Not as of yet. And I think the reason being is that you can't really plan even one or two weeks ahead of where we are now. Um, I've got a sort of plan maybe to go to Metropolitan Melbourne in the back half of November if all's still going well and maybe take a bit of a break up there. Um, but you can't plan too far in advance. So I don't have any idea of what we'll be doing yet because who even knows how many people you'll have to your house. I mean, the government says you'll be able to have 30, but the roadmaps are changing. If you wanted to go out for Christmas, the establishments have no idea how many people they might be able to have and what the square meter is. Yeah. So you can't do anything. I think we've had a real gutful of all that talk, you know, square meters, how many masks, blah, 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 who's vaxxed, who's not. Um, but people are doing impromptu things and part of that is planning and planning comes because of hope and we got to have hope. Um, this morning I was watching the morning program. It was kind of funny. I just got to mention it. Lisa... Do you know Lisa on the this morning? This is on the ABC. On the ABC. Yep. Uh, I don't normally... I, I've given up watching it, and, but this morning I did watch it. And um, somehow the talk came around to getting a coffee, so they elected Lisa to go down there. And naughtily, she went down there with a cameraman. And she thought, bugger it. And she ordered a breakfast and said, I'm not coming back. It was quite funny. Uh, this was and in Melbourne. This is this morning in, in Melbourne on the yep. morning program. And I just thought that was just such a lovely impromptu human side to her. She was laughing, nah, I've got my chilled eggs or whatever it was, I'm not coming back. It was really quite funny, uh, which is a lovely aspect to all the formality we've had and all the restrictions. And I know um, in particular she's actually copped it a fair bit in recent weeks and months on Twitter from some of the trolls, so I'm just pleased to see that that hasn't got to her because there's some real bullies we, out there. We will get onto that subject. We've got a bit to talk about today. The one thing I did want to mention... Uh, and I've been dreading this day, uh, is Fran Kelly's given her notice on RN in the morning. Yes. And uh, I heard her give that notice. I don't know if you did, but... I saw, I didn't I hear it, but I read about really, it. Really, really, it saddened me because I just I just think she's so good at what she does. Um, and uh, she's a national treasure as far as I'm concerned. Uh, there are some good people following up, but I, I think there'll only be one Fran Kelly. So, Fran, we're going to miss you, and uh, good luck in the future. What's she going on to do? Well, I think she's going on to sleep in. Yeah. That's the first thing. I think breakfast, radio, and TV in the long run really takes its toll on you, doesn't it? Yeah, it does, but what amazed me about Fran is, and I know about, you know, you, you, you know the time you spend an hour doing the show, but she'd do... Uh, three hours, intense three hours yep. in the morning. And uh, her questions never failed. Uh, she was incisive and um, really very insightful in her questions and remained, kept that energy all through the show. Uh, terrific, terrific journalist and a great face of democracy. I think that uh, Fran 
I could probably assume what side of the ledger she'd be on politically, but she never let that get in the way of her questions. Well, I've seen great. I've seen her grill or heard her grill uh, many left left side people, left left wingers, uh, relentlessly yep. and and doggedly. And I just think that's just the mark of someone that's genuine and and very professional in her trade. Yeah, and we're going to miss her. Good comments. Mm, yeah. um, is there anyone in the wings to take over that position? Yeah, I think Hamish McDonald is okay. certainly uh, a shining light. He's coming up because um, he had a bit of a rough trot on the Q and A program. I didn't know that. What? what so he what was the host of the yes, ABC's he was, and got axed. Um, they didn't really sort of talk a lot about it at the time, but they sort of said, oh, he's just moving on to other opportunities and all that, but code word for he got axed from that position. Um, and he's gone back to Channel 10's The Project, and I'm not sure, I'm assuming he still is on the ABC? Yes, he was on yesterday. He was yep. on, the, on the RN show yep. in the morning. So um, he's across both networks, which is unusual to see a presenter across commercial and uh, government radio. But um, at the same time, I know that he in particular is someone that just seems to be popping up everywhere. So maybe Q&A wasn't for him, but perhaps he's in the box seat to take over that hosting gig. Well, I think just reading between the lines, um, it's possible that the ABC weren't happy with his input. Um, it could be a political axing we don't know um and i'm just assuming i didn't mind him i thought he was i thought he's fair and even-handed um perhaps that wasn't he's run some good interviews i think yeah 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 um but who's going to take her over uh sally sarah's on the show in the morning um she's great too um but um you know it's a great program and it has some very cutting-edge uh, topics in the morning, and if you didn't do anything else, and you list, listened only to that, which is generally what I did, mm. um, you would get a cross-section of what was happening in the world. And Do you like that national approach to radio? Because clearly here at the station, we try and be very localised and focused on Geelong, whereas the RN program is a national program. I, it? I think it's imperative. I, I really I desire it. I chase it i seek it wherever i can rather than but but then again you know i i, I missed my turn this morning going down the street dreaming and i thought oh gosh going past and i got funneled into mirable street i thought i'll <laughs> i'll do a smart right hand turn into mallop yeah and i went up and back through mallop and it, there's an edge in mallop that's quite uh, unsavory and a little bit uh, unfortunate there's there's the people living there that are, have got nowhere else to live but i walked down the street the other day with my son and he went on to the shop and i walked back through it and is I this the little mallop or no main mallop, main okay. drag? And, and is this the part with the botanical? It box? is. Yep. It is. Um, but it seems to be colonised a bit, and perhaps that probably needs a bit of attention from the council. It's it's not only in uh, in mallop, but that part of the city is starting to get to the point where action should be taken. I think it's, it's a little bit disconcerting. When you're walking up and down the street there, I felt a little. I, I don't feel threatened, but I wouldn't want my son in there late at night. Because um, they sometimes go into town to whatever revelry. Yep, to go to a, go to a restaurant or, yep. or or to catch up, and um, you know, it'd be easy to get caught up in something you didn't want to. And I think that that's something developing there. That's a local issue. I think the council probably. Uh, might take note of that. I think there's still ongoing issues with uh, Mal, Little Mallop, out the back of uh, Market Square there. I mean, I don't feel intimidated, but I think size and stature and possibly to some extent gender plays a role in that. Um, but yeah, I can imagine some people might feel intimidated by some of the antics that you see going on when you walk through that stretch. Yep, yep, yep. Um, 
But uh, look, just moving along. Moving along. Well, one of the things I just wanted to briefly mention actually was Melbourne and coming out of lockdown. They said in our news service at 11 o'clock, 76 days of a seven-day lockdown. I don't think we've ever done 76 days consecutively in lockdown here in regional Victoria. Or if we have, it's been a much easier lockdown than some of the things they've had to go through. I remember a few months ago, we had this conversation around curfews. Do you remember that? And you yes. said, you know, that they should probably look at doing it in New South Wales. And I said, curfews should only be, in my view, a very, very last resort. You did. And uh, they've had a curfew almost right... Not initially, I don't think. I think they brought the curfew in a couple of weeks later when the cases weren't coming down. But for the majority of those 76 days, they've been in curfew, um, which I would probably say is too far and unacceptable well, to me. Well, look... I did say on the show three or four or five weeks ago, the, the, the goalposts have moved a lot with this disease and acting on it uh, was producing a lot of results at the start. If you were going to do a lockdown, then I thought curfew in the earlier, in the, in the alpha virus, was worthwhile because no businesses were open. And I thought there was value in stopping people late at night transferring around between houses, which is when it was going to happen as far as I was concerned. So I, I was for it then. Subsequently, now, with the softer approach and with this, with this jelly-like virus we can't get a handle on, I, I don't think they should come back. They've gone now, and James Molino made a statement this morning mm. um, that there will be no more lockdowns in Melbourne. It was a big statement. Did he I, say that? He did, and, and I hope... I hope... Um, he didn't say Victoria, he said Melbourne. Did he? Well, the, the conversation was around Melbourne. Yeah. yeah so, uh, But you, you look at what's happening in England now after Freedom Day. They're getting 50,000 a day and the projection is 100,000 a day. Yeah. New cases. Now, how are we going to... I think, you know, there's a, there's a disappointment from where I stand that we haven't taken... It's okay to be preventative, but we haven't put anything else in place like infectious diseases capability we haven't you know we've still got this poor old ambo drivers doing the same thing poor old uh, icu people dreading the day and we haven't prepared for infectious disease capability which is imperative in this case and it's and it's going to be money well spent when you look at the billions it's costing australia you know we surely we could we could do that in each state uh, we'll have to wait important. and see. We're in very much uncharted territory now, so you just have to see how it plays out. But um, I think curfews maybe work if you're under the umbrella of what you would call short, sharp lockdowns, which is a term that's been thrown around a lot. But uh, a short lockdown, I would have thought the maximum time on that would be about seven days. So a curfew might be appropriate for seven days. But to have one for 50-plus days, to me, is incongruous with that. Well, look, I've... Changed a lot. Well, we all have. All have, we? yeah. Um, I think that civil liberties are an issue now, and I see that now in the state borders. That's one of my great dislikes. The closure of state borders to Victorians or to New South Wales people, you're not going home to your family. I mean, that's preposterous, and it's an overreaction. And I think it's against, basically against human rights, but it's, it's based on the premise of the, um, the emergency legislation 
that has been passed in Parliament. That's due to be renewed, I think, or to come up again in mid-December, isn't it? Yeah, I've got a feeling that they're changing the way things are done, aren't they? They're going to pass potentially legislation creating a new set of powers under a pandemic so that they don't actually have to keep extending the set of emergencies. Is that right? Is that concerning? Well, like with everything, you've got to actually read the legislation and see what they're actually proposing to do. And the journos I see keep asking them every day in the media conferences and don't get much back in terms of an answer. Mm. Mm. Uh, so we have to wait and see. We're seeing the effects of what they've, the powers they've got now. Very um, extensive. Uh, which are very upsetting. You know, you have to be double backs to get back into Victoria, so yeah. I mean, that's just not acceptable. I, I don't care. And, and isn't it funny, when, you, when I heard the, the, the Prime Minister this morning on the telly, one of the few mornings I had the telly on, he was giving his rah-rah speech, as he does, and he's going, the Premier's here and the Premier's there, and that's well and good. He's well and good. But isn't it really curious that you see a Prime Minister referring to the pr- powers of the Premiers and how he will defer to them? Mm. Uh, uh, that seems to be just the way our... Democracy is working, our federation system is working. Well, some people that are big fans of the federation system and studying it and studying the constitution have said to me, well, this is the way it's always been. But I think for a lot of people, they're surprised about the political system and it's maybe operating in a way that they weren't quite expecting. Yes, and I think that's that's apparent to a lot of people now uh, that, that it is operating in a... Makes you think that maybe there may be appetite for reform, potentially. Not quite just at the moment, um, because of everything that's going on, there's no room for a big, sort of big picture look at things, but uh, maybe some people might look at it and think, no, we don't think this is currently working and we might want to change how our governments work. Well... The Integrities Commission's still got to get up. We've got, we got a, you know, proposition that that's still got to get up and running, and I don't see why it shouldn't. Um, uh, so that's there's a lot in the there's a lot in the pipe work at the moment, isn't there? There certainly is, and we've just got to focus on navigating the next month or two as a city and a region as well. I think getting out of lockdowns, what's it going to look like? I mean, James Millionaire, you say has said there's not going to be any more lockdowns, but there's been a lot of things said that have been revoked, yeah, I, and I, I could run off a whole list now. I wish him well. Look, I'm you know I've got a feeling if the hospital system is full to capacity all of a sudden, all these people are coming in with the virus, they'll say we have no choice but to change our position and we have to lock down. Well, we're at 70%, we're headed for 80% and that's the magic number mm. that they're going to open up and it'll be laissez-faire after that. And on paper, uh, well, I don't know if it's quite laissez-faire at 80%, I think there's still quite a few restrictions. Like you can't just have as many people over to your house as like as you like. There's still no. I thought it, well, I thought it was basically open at that point. Oh, no. I don't think no. so. Oh, well, the restrictions. Well, I hope you're right because res- some restrictions need to stay. We, you know, England is looking very much like they they're going to reintroduce restrictions. They, they've got no choice. And that's going to be political dynamite for Boris Johnson. And then there's questions around masks. Will the current provisions of indoors and outdoors at all times remain? I think the Premier suggested that maybe some of the outdoor mask wearing will go at 80%. I hope that is the case. But um, that's going to be an issue, isn't it? That they've got to contend with? Uh, 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 yeah, um, look, I think common sense should prevail with masks outdoors. It's very annoying to be out in the park miles from anywhere and having to wear yeah, a mask. if you're going for a, like a walk around the Barwon River, for example, and if it's early in the morning or late at night, you don't see anyone, and, you've got to wear your mask. And I think that you might say, well, too bad, do it. 
but what it does is it incites, it gives rise to civil disobedience and people who are not happy with the status quo and subsequently saying, I don't want to get vaxxed either. I'm over this. And so there should be psychology. The psychology they're using now is flawed. You know, the, there was an article in The Guardian this morning there and the AMA president, uh, Roderick McCray, I think he was saying that people should disconnect from the health system if they're not going to get vaxxed, you know? And there As in, if you weren't vaccinated, you wouldn't be eligible for Medicare? Well, I don't, I don't know whether he was saying we're going to cut you off, but he's saying they should disconnect. And I, I, I'm being very... I'm being very cautious there about that statement. I don't want to make the statement that's what he said. It, it possibly was, but... The fact of the matter is that there's a there's a lot of people out there who are not quote unquote anti vaxxers and they are not quote unquote COVID deniers, but they, it, this divisive talk is driving them down one road. And I know I've been there. You know, when I didn't get vaccinated for a while for personal reasons, and I was picking my time, you know, plenty of close friends call me an anti vaxxer, and that's said with a certain amount of vile you know it's said it, there's quite a lot of emotion in in that word and that should be dropped from all government rhetoric you know it should be well um, i don't know if i've heard government say the term anti well uh well uh i well, mean if you could find an mp that has out of the government party i'd be interested but i don't know if that has actually been they may i didn't think it was that ways. uncommon that's surprising that you should say that well uh, let's have a look but um I think the first thing about that is you've got to quantify how many people actually aren't getting vaccinated. And it would appear in Geelong we've hit something like 94 or 95% single dose. Well, so that's, very, that's very true. And we're I, only talking about a very small number of people to start with. Correct. And correct. let's just get that clear because some people are making out like the majority of people don't want to get vaccinated. Well... That's very right. So they show a photo of the, a few dozen people holding placards up, my rights, my freedoms, stuff like that. Okay, that's their right to do that. That's the system we live under. But you don't, you don't put that broad spectrum of identity right across those people who are not vaccinated yet. You don't call them anti-vaxxers. Uh, look, David Littleproud this morning on the, on the radio said, uh, in reference to the Nationals' deal on climate that he was upset and we're going to do a deal and we're going to we're going to preserve jobs that's our main that's our main rationale here he said australia has to realize that while they've been and this is a quote while they've been under the doona the country people have been carrying them now that's that he should apologize for that that's a terrible statement that while they've been under the doona the country people have been carrying that. And it shows a selfish attitude that's prevailing right through this whole national uh, uh, thrust. I respect that the country people should uh, preserve their jobs, but at some point uh, they've got to suck it up, just like people who are not vaxxed. They've got to suck it up because it's, you know what? The term is not anti-vaxxer. The term is not divisive. It's duty. It's looking to the to to the previous generations who've so selfish selflessly given their worth in wars and in depression and things like that. And it's it's not a big deal to say, yeah, you've got concerns, but do it for your neighbour. Get it done. Get, do it for the for the ambo driver, do it for the person that's carrying you. That's where I think the that's where I think the psychology should go one hundred percent. Not the 
well, if you don't get you don't get the jab, you don't get in. That's shocking. That's that's headmaster stuff. That that's going to go nowhere. All that did was drive me down one road, and I was clearly just thinking of putting my foot down. But I. It didn't happen, but yeah, but, but you certainly time, do have emotions that that come to the to the fore. At the same time, I do understand the mentality of saying, "Well, we've all been sitting around at home, particularly in Melbourne, for seventy six days, waiting for people to get vaccinated. So now the people that aren't vaccinated, you're going to be sitting at home, and the people that have got vaccinated are going to be out because that's the way you do it safely." But isn't that the choice you take, though, Mitchell? Who takes? Who should, who should be... Uh, well, the people who are not going to get vaccinated can sit at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's their choice. Do that. That's their that's choice. That's That's exactly right. But, yeah, you won't be able to get into a lot of venues. You're but effectively going to be under a lockdown. That does happen. You're not going to get in, but why taunt people with that? That's not the motivating factor. Oh, yeah, I mean, that's It's different. a negative argument. What I'm saying is be positive... In the, in the sale well, of the vaccine. I think vaccine. it's important to sit down, to talk to people, to listen, to hear what they've got to say rather than uh, pushing them out to the fringes. But again, I just stress that it's a very small number of people now that have not got vaccinated. Very small indeed. So yep. I think we've just got to be a bit careful. I think some people online... Well, that's in Geelong though. Uh, but even, yeah, I mean, there are some areas with lower vaccination, but even statewide, I think the numbers are very impressive. I've got a feeling we might have crossed 90% statewide as our average. So mm. that's only 10% left. What are the numbers in Queensland? Uh, yeah, well, that would be a lot lower. Because, of course, uh, that is a very motivating factor to get vaccinated is staring down the barrel of a lockdown, well, I, which they're not confronted with up there. I, I know three or four potential employees that said, no, I'm not going to get vaxxed. Mm-hmm. See, I'm headed for Queensland. Like, it's the Nirvana. It's the place yeah, well, where they're going to... It's Shangri-La. Yeah. I'm going to live up there with my feet up under a palm tree and see you later. Vaccine friend. Guess I don't what? think that'll happen. Guess what? Yeah, there's there's going to be a reality hit home here. Well, they've said, haven't they, that the border to Queensland is reopening on about the 17th of December, conveniently one week before Christmas, so Victorians can go to Queensland. So you'd have to assume at that point, if Victorians are coming into Queensland, I don't know what the vaccination status of those Victorians coming in would have to be. Well, I could guess. But yeah, you'd have to imagine that maybe the virus is going to start spreading in Queensland from around that date. Well, even vaxxed, double vaxxed, it's still going to be potentially a spreading event to, to open, the, open the border. But that's life. And South Australia and Western Australia are in the same bag. Have you seen the aviation industry slowly starting to recover? I've been yes. looking at some of the airlines that are... Yes. I mean, there's not many operators, for example, of the A380 left, but I think Singapore Airlines is starting to look at bringing its A380s back. Mm. Qantas, uh, the same. I think bringing them back um, around the first quarter of next year. Mm. So... It is exciting in a way to think about places you might be able to go. And I see even Singapore Airlines is bringing back Singapore to Sydney flights. Yeah. Which yep. is great. Yep. Um, so there's some excitement there, I think, about where things are. I don't think I'd be quite confident yet to travel internationally. I think I'd want to wait and see how things play out, particularly if you were over there and they shut the borders quickly. That would be a very unfortunate situation. So I'm going to sit back and watch, see things play out. But um, I'm just looking forward to going back to metropolitan Melbourne. Very quickly, yes, Donald Trump's starting a new app. So is it a social media platform? It's called, wait for it, Truth. Mm -hmm. Now, it's got a lot of, it's going to go public. It's going to list and um, it's got a lot of support and... Uh, I think it. I think it'll be a good buy. It's going to skyrocket, and that's just from a 
very objective perspective. It doesn't mean I'm supporting him. Yeah. But I'm just saying there'll be a lot of people out there that will support that. And what have I often said? I've often said it's counterproductive to censure somebody and to cut them out completely. Now he's put his head up here. There's no holding him back. Um, but, you know, Facebook and Twitter, there's been a lot on the, on the radio recently about them or on the, you know, on the media. Uh, and they're trying to get their act together. And I'll just put it to you, Mitchell... Why on earth don't they just remove the option for pseudonyms with these, mm. with these, you know, it should be Mitchell Die, Vic Bongiorno, saying, that's what you say, I put, I put my full name yeah. in Twitter and Facebook, and I think you should be obligated, in fact, it should be law not to be able to hide behind a pseudonym, you know, Snoop Dogg or someone, yep. uh, saying the most vile things. Yep. I, I think that would clear up 90% of the problems on Facebook and it should be verified that that is actually the person saying it because it would remove the trolls because they, they've got nothing to hide behind and a lot of people wouldn't put their name publicly to the vitriol that they post on those sites. There is a counterpoint to that. I mean, I yeah. do agree where you're coming from and uh, the anonymized trolling, the bullying that you see out there. Yes, um, yes. Like, yes. for example, Lisa Miller. And she, I think, has now left Twitter because she copped it big time. Oh, did she? And it just has got too much. And I can certainly understand when you're in the public eye to the extent that she is, uh, you don't need that negativity oh, every day. It would surprise... They must see her as a soft target because she's such a nice person. Mm. I wouldn't think... What, I don't know what would justify that sort but of... But I'm sure I read she left Twitter. But the other argument as to why people should stay anonymous online is because there are certain discussions that you want to be able to have that should be anonymous. For example, there are forums, places where people can go where they talk about very challenging relationships, they're in difficult times in their life and you read these and people come out and offer support and I don't think people would feel comfortable coming out and explaining the full gravity of the situation uh, if they had to put their full name to it and I also think that maybe in traditional methods of providing support, like going in and seeing a, a professional, a GP, a psychologist, people are less likely to do that if they can see, you know, be seen, they know who it is. Uh, whereas online, where people anonymously post, there's that sort of ability for them to express themselves. That's my counter-argument. Well, that's, 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 that's a good counter-argument, but I, w I would just ask the question, isn't that exactly what the sites are all about, is about honesty? and transparency it's not about just if you cannot present your argument if you haven't got what we'd say the colonies to stand up and say i disagree with the election of john joe biden because of mm. then you shouldn't be saying it i disagree with lisa miller because of then you shouldn't be saying it uh, and i i still believe that by promoting that system of pseudonyms you you hiding behind it and you're creating a lot of ill will and negativity that shouldn't be there. Uh, uh, I believe if you if you're going to put your name to something, you put your name to something, not not a not a pseudonym, not you know Red Dog or Snoop Dog or something like that. And you know, well, it, it's got very frustrating. Yeah. You've got to well, think about it, because I can see both sides, and I can fully understand where you're coming from. And I do think if people had to put their full name, you would clear up a lot of vitriol probably almost overnight. Well, 
well, Facebook and Twitter probably won't do it because they'd lose two thirds of their of their base. You know, I think most their, people their, on Facebook tend to use more of their real. There's still some exceptions, but Twitter is like the real jungle. That's where it is completely anonymized. Yeah, yeah, I agree. There's a lot of there's a lot of anger and and shall I say, desperation and sadness on Twitter. I, I find it. I, I haven't been on Twitter for months. Yeah, I had a short engagement with them. Yep, and uh, I gave as good as I got. Yeah, actually. <laughs> yeah, and I I enjoyed that. Yeah. And I had my name there. I think people were taken back by that. Yeah, probably. Uh, but you know, thinking, oh, you know, this guy, he's a nutcase. Keep away from him. Um, you know, he hasn't even got a pseudonym. He's using his own name. Yeah. Uh, but I I I, I don't see much use for Twitter. I really think it's a sad forum. I really do. Yeah, no, I think that's a fair point. Uh, there's some real problems with it. We're actually talking about this on my program on Tuesday with the guy that comes on to talk technology in exactly the same situation. He felt a bit of despair. I think a lot of it is maybe connected to COVID or has been made worse by COVID. Going on there to read people telling you, you should do this, you shouldn't do that, and then arguing with each other about it uh, starts to get very depressing. Particularly if you're in the middle of a lockdown, you go on and start reading that stuff and it just amplifies the problem. Whereas if you turn it off and go out for a walk, um, you feel a lot better. But what's common? What's commonality amongst all those people? Not their own name. Mm. If you look. Anyway, it's twenty-four to twelve. We'll take a break because you've got a guest. That we are. We are speaking to the one and only Trevor Wright, and uh, he'll be telling us about William Creek out on the side of Lake Eyre, and he's out there now, providing that the line is open, providing we can get through, that the line isn't well, down. What is the reception like on Lake Eyre? Oh, well, we'll find out. All right, we'll take a break and we'll talk about that next. Okay. Until midday, you're listening to 11 on Friday on 94.7 The Pulse. All right, Vic, who have we got on the line? We've got... We've got... William Creek on the line, and we've got the Sheik of William Creek, Trevor Wright on the line, and uh, I'm not sure if he's... Uh, Trevor, are you there? G'day, Vic. How you going? Oh, he's there. The, the line, the line's up today. That's good. We've got you. <laughs> have you... Have you... Trevor, has the mail got through this month? Uh, depends what day it is. Yeah, Sometimes right. Sometimes we have a problem. Depends on the dust storm we had yeah. the other night. Uh, so, I uh, think we'll have it tomorrow. What's the, what's the temperature doing, Trevor? Well, we're starting to get up into the mid-30s to high-30s. It'll keep going through like this to the end of February, March, and then hopefully we'll see a decline. I think what you're seeing out here, it's pretty dry at the moment, so mm. we're starting to see a few dust storms Dust. Developing. Dust. Do you know what, Trev? I worry about you sometimes. You, you, about three or four years ago, it might have been more, five years ago, you rang me. The, the conversation went for about a minute. You said, Vic. I said, yeah. He says, 55 in the shade, clunk down with the phone. <laughs> and I thought, geez, I think he's been out in the heat. Uh, you know, but it does get hot out there. What's the hottest you've seen? You did say 55 that day, but... Oh, yeah, look, uh, the hottest I've ever seen at Vic is 61 degrees, and that was on a mercury thermometer underneath the veranda. And the, the uh, thermometer wasn't calibrated, but I'm pretty sure it was really close to it. Days like that, you don't get out of the place 
after about 10, 30, 11 o'clock in the morning. It's just debilitating the heat. The other problem we have with it, because everything out here either runs on solar or generators, especially with the generators with your both base loads, you have a lot of trouble with heat transfer between the radiator and the actual engines themselves, oh. and uh, they lose efficiency. Oh, Jeez, that's not what you want to hear out there. But you've got to take your hat off to the early pioneers. Now, just let me set the scene for people who are listening. Trevor is talking to us from William Creek, which is if you go to the north of South Australia, there's a lake called Lake Eyre. And now everyone knows Lake Eyre. Well, it's on the west side of Lake Eyre, on a, and it's embedded in a station called Anna Creek Station, which is as big as Belgium, isn't it? Trevor, is that the Yeah, one? it's roughly six and a half million acres. And to give you, uh, listeners, a bit of an idea, the furthest cattle yards away from the actual homestead itself are 240 kilometres to the uh, northeast. The whole western side of Lake Eyre is basically under the um, pastoral lease for Anna Creek and the Peak Station, which is a outstation of Anna Creek. It's a um, they put some buildings in that out there, and they have some of the ringers stay out there. So the peak is an outstation for Anna Creek? Yeah, I think it's all under the one pastoral lease. And for your listeners that don't understand the pastoral leases in South Australia, they're on a 48-year pastoral lease, and then they they have to be checked out by the government to make sure there's no degradation in them, and then they reissue the leases to the uh, companies or the individuals that actually have them. Because it was controversial a little while ago with, with a Chinese company or an entity trying to buy it. What happened there? Uh, because of, just to give you an idea, at the back of uh, William Creek, about 10 kilometres, we have the uh, Woomera Defence um, yes. Department. Yeah. And you've got um, a whole lot of space that you cannot drive into or you cannot fly over on certain days. But they've basically banned anyone from going in there except for station personnel and emergency services. So because the Chinese were involved for 25%, I believe, in the buyout of Anna Creek, oh. they refused it on defence grounds and uh, security. Oh, so who's who's the owner now, or is that a secret? It's one of the locals, actually. It's a family dynasty. It's Williams Cattle Company. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think in total they've got seven stations. They're our next-door neighbours, Trevor and Helen, which are the older members of the family. They're about 100 kilometres away on Nilpana stations. And yep. their sons manage, one of their sons manages uh, Anna Creek. That's Matt and his wife, Chantel. And you've got Cameron further up on the peak. And then uh, going up further, you've got Mount Barry, Arkaringa, uh, Mount Sarah. That's heading up the the west side of Lake Eyre, going up the the, Right up the top. Basically, you could say from 100 kilometres, and this is just rule of thumb, and there's a couple of stations in between, they uh, have pastoral leases that go right up nearly to the Northern Territory border and on the edge of the Simpson Desert. So it's a, it's a pastoral lease we're talking about. Is there any freehold there? The only freehold you have out here, except for small communities such as Cupidi and Unadatta, <coughs> are places like ours. And um, the reason that they've actually got these little places as freehold is purely because of the old Gann railway line that came through here in 1887. Yeah. And on that, there's four major places still going. That's uh, Maree. William Creek, Unadatta, and also think in the Northern Territory. Apart from that, to the best of my knowledge, there's very little freehold out here whatsoever. So, so um, there's a bit of freehold down to the south there at Finnis Springs, isn't there? Is that or not? I, I might be wrong there. Uh, don't quote me on that one. I think Finnis Springs comes under an Aboriginal 
uh, under the Indigenous um, native title. But yeah, you could call that freehold. There's, there's, there's a huge amount of Indigenous land out here, especially out in the APY lands. Yep. And there's joint management with Lake Air Caddy Thunder. Oh, yeah. And also going into the Simpson Desert. And um, you've also got Dalhousie Springs up there, which is Whipper National Park as well. So uh, as far as Indigenous land and that goes, a lot of these national parks, or well, the majority of them now, are in co-management. Yeah. Yeah, well, the Dalhousie's there. It's just out to the uh, east of Mount Dare, isn't it? Yeah, just up there. it's about Pretty. 80 kilometres south of the Northern Territory border yep. and about 200 kilometres to the east for people who know it on the Stewart Highway going to Alice Springs. I think the first time I heard of Dalhousie was with the Leyland brothers and they, were, they went into Dalhousie um, and they were having a good old swim there. That was when they did their Wheels Across a Wilderness movie, years and years. That was the start of their fame. Um, they were a bit of a controversial history, but uh, at that point it was something that was just fell right into the Australian psyche very well. And Malcolm, Mel Douglas too and um, David Olmeadow did, did one too um, across the top. Uh, oh, across the top. Did I say that? Yeah, anyway, it doesn't... I can't remember which was which. But anyway, they were early... And a lot of people... You get a lot of uh, four-wheel drivers and... Um, is that still going now or is it starting to ease off, uh, Trevor? Uh, no, it's definitely easing off. What you find with the national parks up the top end of South Australia, so normally close them around um, late November, December, right through till about the end of February, March. The reason for that, in 1998... There was a German couple, that, yeah. sorry, Austrian couple that came out to the edge of Caddy Thunder Lake Air and they were in a rental van and it broke down out there. They had it stuck in the um, sand. They both tried to walk back to William Creek 70 kilometres away oh. and the first time they destroyed their shoes, the second time the woman uh, who was there, she, I think she got 30 to 40 kilometres and it was in November and the, it was over 36 degrees. She ended up dying from heat stroke and exhaustion. Yeah. yeah. So they, part of the coroner's finding, I believe, was that they closed these parks in the uh, hotter months of the year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, was that the case where they didn't put it into four-wheel drive? Yeah, I think it's, it's a case tragic. of a little knowledge is dangerous. And from that, what's occurred is that they're all now carrying these survival beacons out there. And uh, that's made a huge difference. I know that we've had quite a few calls on survival beacons up and down the track where vehicles are broken down. And they usually, with a rule of thumb, they'll be within 100 metres of where the beacon is. So, Trevor, we're getting short on time, but you you do a flying operation out there, you know, and uh, I've got to admit, my gosh, how many pilots do you have on there if the lake's running? Look, we can have up to probably about 30 pilots. We operate out of Coopedy, William Creek, and uh, through in the data, and also we'll paint a pound. And our main sphere of influence is what they call the Anna Creek Painted Hills, if anyone wants to. Painted Hills is beautiful. Lake Air uh, or Caddy Thunder. My gut feeling is talking to all the mates up in the Territory and North Queensland is there could be a huge wet coming this year. Not to say it'll actually happen because the weather's the weather, but if it does... And you start to see that huge, um, what'd you call it, uh, mountain of water heading down the channel cut. Yeah. It'll yeah. be really worth a look out there yeah. for sure. Yeah, up and through Queensland, etc. You need the, the talk is you need three big cyclones to get it all happening. Um, but um, let's just hope because it, the last big flood was seventy four uh, when Lake Air was really deep, um, and uh, that hasn't. It's due 
well, historically it's due again. Um, but I did hear... Um, now, look, Trevor, most, most people say, you know what, I know Dick Smith. But I heard Dick Smith there on the radio not long ago say, I've got a mate up in William Creek, I call him, and, and, and he's, his name's Trevor Wright. So Dick Smith is claiming to know you instead of you having to name Dick Smith. But do you see him much out there? Yeah, Dick comes out occasionally in his helicopter or his aeroplane. Uh, he has a real relationship with the country out here. Yeah, he has. Uh, he local, has. No, no doubt about it. And um, he does spend quite a few days out here. Other people, such as Ray Martin, he came out oh, here really? for a week for t- on a photographic, um, what would you call it, mission. Uh, it's, it's interesting the number of amateur photographers that come out in their groups for up to a week or two weeks at a time. There's quite a few uh, professional photographers that lead them out here, and especially with the patterns in Lake Eyre because because of the salt. And there's about 400 million tonnes of salt in that lake. And just for your interest, Vic, for your listeners, uh, the catchment for Lake Eyre is roughly the size of Victoria, and 1% of the water that falls in the catchment actually makes it into the lake. 1%? That's a fact I should have known. I didn't know. Yeah, and it takes 30 days because I've tracked it about three times for it to come from the top of the lake down into the bottom of the lake, Belt Bay, which is the lowest point in Australia at about 18 metres below sea level. Well, just along those lines, Trevor, let me ask you, what is the Warburton Groove? Is that a crazy dance that they do at the the William Creek pub? Uh, Must be. Uh, The Groove (laughs) itself is... It's slightly lower, probably four or five inches lower yeah. than the rest of the lake, and it covers a, a distance in width of about two kilometres yep. and goes over 100 kilometres down the lake. It's quite a sight. And it splays out. It is. It's, it's like quite a, a freeway of glistening silver coming down the centre of Lake Eyre. And you've got to remember, just for uh, your listeners, there's about, they estimate there's about 400 million tonnes of uh, salt in the lake. And when the lake's full, and you can always tell when the lake is full because you'll have water going through what they call Gorda's Channel between the North Lake and South Lake. That tells you the North Lake's full. They can handle up to 55 different varieties of wading birds. Yeah, and yeah the bird life. Five and a half million birds uh, in particularly, the pristine environment in Australia, inland water system. Particularly up around those rivers, uh, the bird life is magnificent. But just, uh, we're running short of time, as I said. Now, Trevor, I just want to swap on to something that um, probably hasn't been spoken about for a few years. And I haven't got the actual date in my mind, but the unfortunate accident um, uh, up there on the east side of Lake Eyre near the Cooper Creek Inlet. Uh, oh, with the you, ABC helicopter. With the ABC helicopter. Now, I've just looked that up again, and um, there's, a, there's a self-portrait of uh, John Bean... Paul Lockyer and Gary Ticehurst standing on the lake. You'd be a, you'd be au fait with that, wouldn't you, that photo? Well, look, I, I can slightly remember it, but yeah, go ahead. Look, I, well, look, I looked it up because it stayed in my memory. When I first saw it, I thought that's probably the most... It's the most evocative self-portrait I have ever seen. And I, I, I just hope it's in the National Archives. The three men standing there on the lake and it's so descriptive that that shot but uh you would have had and i've look i've been over the site quite a few times too you would have had a lot to do with that site um have you been in there no i um 
haven't been to that actual site. It's hard to uh, get to. You, you'd need a chopper yeah, to get in there, wouldn't you? Yeah, you'd need a chopper to get in, in there, and it's on the, um, what do you call it? It's on the uh, Coop Creek side, which is far harder to get to because you've got to go through the Tiara Desert to do it. Yeah, 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 that's that's right. And it's, um, it, look, to explain it, it is probably one of the remotest places in the world. Now, let me just let me just qualify that statement. I've travelled through the Sahara, across the Sahara by truck, and, you, you know, you're sitting there at night, you think, I'm in the middle of nowhere, and then a, people will come out of the desert and walk past you with camels, and there are people all through the Sahara. It just seems to be that way. Uh, up there, you could sit there for 12 months, and I think a dingo would walk past you. No one... No one would go near you. It is extremely remote where, where uh, that that accident happened. And night, it is inky black if there's no moon, correct? Oh, totally. Um, Lake here, when it's dry, is one of the most harshest environments in the world. Yeah. Um, the other thing, probably one of the most interesting things I've ever seen or done out at Lake Air is... We went out with one of the traditional owners and um, a group out of Curtin University in Perth. They've got what they call this fireball project, which yep. are cameras mounted all over the outback, and they can work out the trajectory of meteorites falling to work. Oh, wow. And we've actually found a two-and-a-half-kilogram one on Lake Air, or in Lake Air, because it went in like a small volcano. Did you have a part... You got that out? Um... It was got it was got out by the university, but we actually found it by aircraft going to the latitude. And yeah, I, I did. I do remember the history of that. Um, yeah. I do remember the history of that. Now, look, I'm just going to close with a. Uh, I'm just going to close with a few words uh, written by, in acknowledgement of Michael Lunig. He wrote this little poem. It's called "Deepest Blue," uh, and it's in honour of those three gentlemen that lost their lives. Uh, and here it is: Birkin, Wills, and Whiteley too. In visions of the deepest blue, dreamed wildly of some inner sea where life they had not lived might be, and searching for this wondrous place, made maps and paintings of a face with graceful curves and dried up streams by which the, the sea drained from their dreams. And so, in lost and lonely camps, they spoke their prayers and snuffed their, their lamps. Lockyer Bean and Tysus too, into a night of deepest blue. Good talking to you, Trevor. Yeah, good on you, Vic. Good talking to you, too. Okay, have a good one. Pulse. Well, that was a fascinating interview, Vic. I think you need your own program, and we'll call it Vic's Country or Vic's Country <laughs> Hour. Or, and you'd, you. you'd be great. You'd come in here Thank and talk you, to different people from different corners of uh, rural Australia because when he speaks, it's an area that we sometimes forget is that when we get caught up in lockdowns and the city and living here, and there's a whole other world out there, and it's incredible. And I've been to uh, Wilpena Pound and did a flight over the uh, the Pound. I don't know if it was with his charter company, but fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Look, thanks, Mitchell, but that can't happen. You know why? Why? They haven't given me a pass yet. <laughs> I'm sure Leo is listening, and I'm sure they'll get their act together, <laughs> and I will uh, push them to do that as well. Um, well, we're just about there for another week. It's amazing how quickly the hour flies by, but have you got a final word for us? Um House prices are on the way or levelling out, thank God. But listen, just one thing, the Minnesota policeman who shot Justine Damon, uh, unfortunately, uh, 
you know, with tragic circumstances. Yes. I'd just like to say that, you know, the responsibility should go back to the training organisation. No one has spoken about that. This man was untrained. He was untrained and unprofessional, in his, and that's where the responsibility lies, not just with him. Yep. And I'm surprised that nothing's been said about Probably that. Probably the checks and balances on who you employ as a police officer to begin with. Well, we're seeing a lot of it, and, and I'm just surprised that there hasn't been a legal case against the police department for putting an untrained oh, person. That's, very that's well my perceptive, yeah. perception of this. Well, really good talking with you. I hope you get out there and enjoy the weekend. We can't quite go to Metropolitan Melbourne yet, but hopefully soon, and we'll talk to you again next week. Good on Mitchell. Thank uh, you. And I'll be back, of course, on Monday morning on uh, Mitchell's front page. Lots of issues to discuss, and uh, Richard Miles will be joining us from Canberra on Tuesday to talk about what the, the big issues are up there, and there's quite a few federal political issues at the moment, so hopefully you can join me there. But in the meantime, have a great weekend and the Midday News is now. The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 to 11. Or search for Mitchell's Front Page on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram or wherever you get your podcasts.